Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. How many of you are forgetful? How many of you forgot to set your clocks forward last night? No, I, and you know, honestly, if you have a cell phone uh, and you use that as your alarm clock, it automatically resets itself in the morning. So if you, if you don't use that, then I guess you could have been late this morning. We see, I see some gaps in, in the sanctuary. I wonder how many people might have forgotten. Well, today, you know, we talked last week about forgetting God's promises. Uh, if you were with us, if you weren't with us, you could uh, check online on our media page on our website and, uh, and get that and listen to it uh, when you get a chance. But uh, I'm going to lead in to this message today with that same mindset of forgetfulness. What is it like to forget? Um, I am a very forgetful person. I do forget a lot of things. You can ask people, I've forgotten breakfast with them before. Uh, I've slept through, I've been an assistant coach for Upward this past season, and I slept through our last practice last week, uh, which is at seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, and I don't go to sleep that early, but it was after dinner and I was laying down watching the show with Raylan or somebody, I don't remember, and, uh, and I dozed off and didn't wake up till about 11.30 and noticed a text from the head coach of our team saying, hey, we missed you tonight, I hope everything's okay, and I gasped. So how many of you forget things like that? Just a couple of you. Um, How many of you have ever forgotten where you put your phone? How many of you ask your spouse or somebody else to do the find your iPhone thing? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, somebody else that has access to your phone via their phone that you're on the same account with, could you call my phone, right? What about uh, your keys? You ever lose your keys? Right? Pay phone? You've lost a pay phone once. Is that what you said? Oh, occasionally. I apologize. How many of you actually forget what you're doing? (laughs) You're actually, you're starting a task, you're fulfilling a task, and then you forget what, what you're doing right in the middle of the task you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, or you get up from one room to go to another to get something and you forget. But you got your steps in, right? (laughs) You forget appointments. How many of you have ever forgotten to call or write or pay a bill? Right? Yeah, don't raise your hands on that one, that's okay. How about, how many of you forget God? Yeah? Sorry, I'm just doing my Jedi mind trick. I'm hearing a little feedback. How many of you forget God? Let's be honest. What do we do when we forget God? Well, typically, um, we forget God when we go about our daily routines without a thought for Him in mind. Sometimes we forget about him on Sunday mornings, right? Sometimes we forget about him when we're at our workplaces. 
Guess what? Pastors can forget God in the middle of the workplace too. Don't think we're, we're uh, immune to that. Does it mean that we have to walk around with a God mindset every day in everything we do? Yes. Yes, it does. Because as we go about our daily routines, if we forget God, what are we prone to do? We're prone to slip into something we shouldn't do or thought processes we shouldn't think or actions that come out of us that shouldn't be. Today we come to a passage of Scripture. If you've been tracking along with us as we've been reading through the Scripture this year, we are around Judges right now. Actually, I'm a little bit ahead of the game. You will be coming into Judges here shortly. And we're looking at Judges chapter 2. Last week we looked at Joshua chapter 5, and you remember Foreskin Hill. Yes, if you weren't here, you missed a great one. Because there's a place in the Bible called Foreskin Hill in Joshua chapter 5. No joke, I'm not trying to be crass, it's in the Bible, I'm a minister of the word, if you're getting mad at me, get mad at God because he allowed it to be put in there. (laughs) But we looked at that, so now we flash forward because what was happening last week in Joshua chapter 5 is that God has now gotten this next generation of Israelites after 40 years of wilderness wandering, they come into the land through the Jordan River, (coughs) excuse me, under Joshua's leadership. They do three memorials when they get across the river. You would think they might do them before they go across the river, but they go into the promised land first. They get 12 stones from the bed of the river Jordan and bring them out onto land to set up an altar or a memorial to God so that they can always go back and remember this is where God parted the Jordan to allow us to walk across on dry ground. That was the first memorial they set up. The second one was circumcision of all the males, 60 years of age and younger, because the oldest would have been around 60 except for Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. And then they celebrated the Passover meal, three memorials. They were to remember the promises of God and always keep them on their hearts. They were to always remember what God had done for them so that they wouldn't go back and do the things they shouldn't do like their ancestors did. But now flash forward one book, which is, uh, you know, a little bit longer, and we get to the book of Judges. They are now in the land, they've separated the land by territories and tribes. So now there are 12 tribes in various different regions of the promised land, some of them even on the western side of the Jordan, which is not technically the promised land, but they chose to stay there, Gad and Reuben. And then the, uh, uh, the eastern tribe of Manasseh decided, we're gonna, this is okay over here for us, we're gonna stick around. That's another sermon for another time, but I digress. So they're in the promised land, Every tribe has their own piece of land, and there are now judges that have come to rule the land. What is a judge? Well, you have a whole book of them in the Old Testament. And a judge, to put it as simply as possible, is a military leader, a political leader, and a spiritual leader. They are the head of the military, okay? They are head of the political structure and system. 
outside of God. God has imbued them with these responsibilities. And they are the head religious leader. Now, yes, you still have the priests and the Levites that do their priestly and Levitical duties at uh, the synagogues and also uh, at the tabernacle, but we'll go into that some other time. But now you have judges. Guess what? This new generation of Israelites have done when they finally come into the land, they've set up their tribal nations within the large nation of Israel. What did they start to do? What happens to them? Well, they go the way of their parents. They start doing what their parents did. They forget the promises of God. They basically have forgotten the memorials they set up. They, their own generation set up. And God starts to get pretty upset with them. So what does God do? He leaves them to their own devices. He punishes them by letting them have their own way. Isn't that a punishment? Our kids think if we let them have their own way, it's not a punishment. We're giving them freedom. But when you get to have your own way, the way you want it, whenever you want it, did you know that's a punishment? It doesn't seem like that would be much of a punishment, but think about it in God's economy versus the world's economy. When you give yourself over to what you wanna do when you wanna do it, and because we have this bent towards sin, we tend to really mess things up. How many of you do everything perfectly? One of you back there, wow, I'm impressed. We're gonna have a class on perfection by these men and women who raised their hands. We can do nothing perfect apart from God. Technically, in our day and age, we can do nothing perfect apart from Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. So what do we do with that? If we're not perfect, we don't do things perfectly, but Christ is perfect and Christ in us helps to perfect us, then we should have the perfecting grace of God in us through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who gives us freedom from sin and death. But we can't do that if we keep forgetting. The Jews, if we, we've already read through Deuteronomy. If you remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, what are they to do? Have you heard of the term phylactery? And no, it has nothing to do with sexual stuff. Phylactery. They are little boxes that would, little black boxes that would have been bound to the forearm and they would have had these long leather straps that would have wrapped around the forearm. Inside of that little box would have been a specific scripture that they were to have bound on their hand. Have you seen any documentaries of Orthodox Jewish people with these little black boxes on their forehead? That's also a phylactery. They take literally, as they were supposed to have, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where they were to bind on their foreheads the scripture and to bind on their forearms the scripture. Why? Because I could see my forearm all day long. And because this box on my head that holds a portion of the scripture of God's holy word is the closest thing to my mind. And they wear those things even today in some of the more strict Orthodox Jewish places in the world. They meditate upon God's word. Why? Because they don't want to forget. What happens when we forget the words of God? 
we are doomed to repeat the failures of our own ancestors of the past. Let's read Judges chapter 2 real quick and, and find out what was going on. So now flash forward again. They've got their tribes. They've now divided the land. And this is what happens. Just the second chapter into Judges. The angel of the Lord. Where was the angel of the Lord last time we heard him last week? They've come into the promised land. Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, after they do the memorials, is now scouting basically out the, the region where Jericho is. Remember the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, blah, blah, blah. He's scouting out that region before they start marching around Jericho. And he sees this embodiment of a military person with a sword. And Joshua says, are you for us? Are you against us? Are you our friend or are you a foe? And do you remember what the angel of the Lord told him? Neither. <laughs> I just, I wish I could have been there. That would have been so fun to watch. Neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not not on your side. See, that's the point about God, isn't it? I'm not on your side, but I'm also not not on your side. It's about not us having God on our side, but it's about us being on God's side. Isn't that the most important thing? Because that's what God tells him through the angel of the Lord, last book. The angel of the Lord now appears again. He goes up from Gilgal to Bochim and says to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt to this land I swore to give your ancestors, and I said I would never break my covenant with you. For your part, you were not to make covenants with the people living in this land. But instead, instead, so the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final impartation of the law to the newest generation that's getting ready to go into the promised land. They have no excuse not to follow the law of God because he gives it to them afresh and anew. And he tells them, you don't make treaties, you don't make covenants with pagans and sinful people. You are to be the light and the leaders of, Christ, of God in this region. Don't make treaties. Don't compromise with evil. They knew this. I brought you to the, I brought you into this world. It's almost like God said, I brought you in and I can take you out. Remember who I am. I gave you this. I gave you these blessings. I gave you this land. I have fulfilled my end of the deal with you. It may have taken me centuries, but you are a stubborn people. But here I am. I've done what I promised you I would do. And for your part, you were not to make these covenants with the people. You were to destroy their all you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? I picture a parent getting down, looking in the eyes of their kid and saying, "I told you to fix this problem, to clean up that mess, to do that thing. And you just made it worse. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? So now I declare, and here's the punishment, right? You did this wrong. I've given you a chance to make it right. You still won't do it. 
Here's what's going to happen. I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation for you. Well, he is a mean God. God promised them, if you remain faithful to me, if you do not depart from my word, if you obey my commands, I will be with you. I will fight these battles for you. And quite frankly, if you do what I'm asking, I will drive most of these people out ahead of you. You won't even have to do much. You will have to do some things. Yes, Jericho, AI, and several other nations and towns in this region, you'll have to, you'll have to go in, but I will be with you. I will take care of you. You need to be faithful to me, be obedient to me. And they come into the land and they're like, well, it's okay if I keep this gold and silver when we destroy this town, even though God says we're to destroy everything and offer it up as an offering. And, but if I keep this one little golden statue, it would be okay, right? Or it would be okay if, if we, you know, in order to make a peace treaty with some of these people, why don't we just you know, why don't we just leave them alone or, you know, they're not really that bad. Do you, do you hear some of this stuff? Does anything like that happen today? When you compromise doing the right thing in order to allow what seemingly might be in, in, insignificant but is wrong, you open a door for evil to enter and you pursue a path of unrighteousness that can get you in big trouble. God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. You hear me say this often. He gets blamed for a lot of stuff that we are the culprits of. How could you let me get pregnant at this time? Well, I didn't force you to sleep with the other person. Actually, I told you here's the right way to do it, and you decided to do your own thing. So who's at fault here? You know, being a father, I get blamed for a lot of things that I didn't do. Did you know that? Parents, do you ever get blamed by your kids for making their lives miserable? <laughs> You've, I, have you ever heard of this? You've ruined my life! Right? Have your kids ever said stuff like that to you? Have you ever heard people say that stuff to God? You've ruined my life. Where were you when I lost my job? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when this happened or that happened? And you fill in the blank and we blame God. And maybe, just maybe, God is righteous and holy and he's letting you succumb to some of your own poor choices and decisions. And instead of taking ownership and responsibility, we'd like to have a scapegoat in our lives. And sometimes God is the easiest target. If there is a God, right, we'll just point fingers at him. If there really was a God, my life would be perfect. No, no, it wouldn't. Because you live in an imperfect world. But you can rise above the imperfection and see things from a different perspective. And you can see that the God who loves you enough sent his only son to take the curse of this world off of your shoulders. So that all you have to do is believe in him and you can have everlasting life. It doesn't mean that you're going to be pulled out of your troubles or trials. But it means you can press through them knowing that he's solved those problems for you. 
knowing that he is right there with you. Again, I digress. I'm not even through the first three verses. I apologize. When the angel of the Lord finished speaking to the Israelites, the people wept loudly. Now, do you know what this term weep means in Hebrew? It's not like a whimpering. Actually, it tells us it wept loudly, so it gives you kind of a double emphasis. Weeping alone is just this wailing. <laughs> That's what you would hear when you hear weeping. When it says in the New Testament, what the shortest verse in the Bible, what is it? Jesus swept, right. He wept, wept. It, he actually wailed loudly for his friend Lazarus. It says, when the angel of the Lord came and spoke to them and said, I'm frustrated with you guys. You didn't do what I asked you to do. You didn't do what I told you to do. Why did you do this? So because you've continued to do what I've told you not to do, here's the result of your behavior. This is what's going to happen. I'm not going to drive the people out because obviously you don't want them driven out. Though I wanted them driven out and I was going to help you, you decided you didn't want that. So fine, I'll give you what you want. They're going to stick around. But as they stick around, they will be a pain in the tuchus for you, to put it mildly. They will not be pleasant to live with. And when the angel of the Lord had finished speaking to the Israelites, the people wept loudly, so they called the place Bochim, which means weeping, and they offered sacrifices there to the Lord. After Joshua sent the people away, after this encounter with the angel of the Lord, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So now imagine, they've all seen the miracle of the Lord. They've seen him hold back the waters of the Jordan so they can cross through. They've seen these miracles, them marching around the city of Jericho. I mentioned this last week. What kind of military strategy would have you, can you imagine the United States Army, Marines, Air Force, getting out of all of their envoys and everything and just marching without any weapons but just musical instruments or whatever. Can you imagine them walking around a city in the Middle East somewhere, marching around a city quietly once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day they do it seven times, and at the end they all turn and scream and blow trumpets at the walls of the city. Again, I just think that's amazing. And they saw the miracles of God where the walls come tumbling down. Do you know what archaeological, let me digress for a minute. The, the walls of Jericho, the city of Jericho has been discovered. Yes, it is an archaeological discovery. Do you know which directions the walls have fallen? No. Archaeological discoveries show the walls of Jericho have fallen outward all the way around, except there's one section of Jericho's walls that is still standing. You remember the story of Rahab? Can you believe that? No, it's just coincidence. So why would, when, you are, when, an, when an army is coming in to attack a place, in the, especially in the ancient times, which way would the walls fall when they're battering it in and trying to conquer it? They fall in. I kid you not, do the research yourself. Look up the archeological discoveries of Jericho. You'll see that in most of the sections around there, they're all fallen outward. You can't make this stuff up. 
This is pretty amazing. So they've seen these miracles of God. They've seen the wonders of God firsthand. But why are they not obeying the Lord? Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land that he had, uh, that he had been allocated at Timnath, uh, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The next generation, the ones who may have as children seen the walls come down, the, one, the ones who may have as children seen the waters part to walk across, the next generation forgot God. They didn't acknowledge him. The Israelites, verse 11, did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. Baal is the chief god of the Canaanites. And Baal, as the chief god of the Canaanites, was a harvest and sex god, believe it or not. They believed that if you went to their temples and you had sex with temple prostitutes, that you would gain the favor of Baal on your next harvest. Or if your spouse was uh, not able to get pregnant, if you went and slept with a prostitute, then the favor of Baal would rest on you and he would help to make your spouse pregnant. That's just how that worked. If you, as a female, were not able to have children, you could go sleep with a male prostitute at a temple of Baal. Now, why do you think God despised Baal or Molech or Asherah or Ashtoreth? Why do you think he despised those religions and those so-called idol-worshiping type things? I've told you before, you'll read in the Bible, if you're reading through faithfully, you'll read where they pass their children through the fire. Infant and child sacrifice was very common among the Baals, Molech, Ashtoreth, where they would lay their babies on these altars of this bull. It's basically the head of a bull. This is what the god of Molech looked like the head of a bull and the body of a muscular man sitting down on a throne with his arms stretched out and there would be fire between his legs. This is pictures that we have and also archaeological discoveries. And they would lay the baby on the arms of that, that, that idol, that statue, to be burned by the flames. And this is what the temple priest of Baal would do. Now think of Elijah in the Old Testament where he slaughtered the 400 prophets of Baal. Guess what happened? These priests would be circled around this sacrifice happening, and they would pound these drums to drown out the screams of the children. Why do you think God was so insistent that these people be driven out of the land? See, because we see a picture of God in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with what's going on there. You see a God in the Old Testament. He's so wrathful, mean, and hateful. I don't like that God. Really? Because he's a God that's trying to set the record straight, trying to get people on the right path and quit doing that junk. How close are we to that today? Oh, we've sanitized it and made it a cleaner version of the gods of Baal and Molech. We don't brutalize people in public, do we? Oh yeah, but it's political correctness or it's uh, just the right thing to do based on what I think is the right thing to do. 
And we don't slaughter millions of kids anymore. Joshua died, the next generation comes up, they don't acknowledge God. Oh, that old traditional stuff, that's hooey. Our parents were stupid for believing that, so they decided, let's do the new thing, the new thing on the block. Let's worship these other gods and these other things. It's kind of cool. The Israelites, it says, did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the image of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. Is it okay for God to get angry? Yeah, because God has perfect anger, not impulsive anger like we do. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal, the images of Ashtoreth. This made him burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them. Now, this isn't the Lord actively fighting against them, but with the Lord not being with them, do you think they succumbed to their own enemies? Of course, because the only power and authority they had was through God. If you remember, we, we, we already researched and did, did this uh, did the searching on this, uh, I think two or three sermons ago, is that God says, I didn't choose you because you were great, strong, powerful, and mighty. I choose you because you were the least of the peoples of the earth. But I love you. That's why I chose you. So do you think they could be powerful without God? No. Their only power lay within God being with them. And so it says the Lord fought against them by not being with them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned, and the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges. This, this is where it gets interesting. The Lord raised up judges, who I mentioned to you earlier, to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. Now think about this. If you were to be faithful to the one true holy God, who we call Yahweh, all right, that is the Jewish word for God, that is where God met Moses at the burning bush and says, I am that I am, that's what Yahweh means. And anytime you see all caps, G-O-D or L-O-R-D in the Old Testament or the New, that is the technical term for Yahweh. If it's a capitalized letter with the lowercase uh, in the middle you, or in, uh, to the end, you know that that's not the actual definitive term for Yahweh. But they prostituted themselves. Do you th- <laughs> We, we get really frustrated sometimes when we think, we come to church, we've got to flower the language up a bit. The Bible does not pull any punches. If you're coming to church to hear a flowery sermon about really fluffy, nice stuff, you're not always going to hear that because as scripture quote, as I quote scripture, like last week, the foreskin hill, literally that's what they named this place. They've got this. Now, you're prostituting yourselves. What is, now, what imagery does that put in your mind? See, this is God speaking to the people. Why are you prostituting yourselves with other gods? What is prostitution? If you're too young to know that, ask your parents when you get home. Good conversation starter on the way to lunch. (laughs) But think about this. What is that? Well, it's they are being unfaithful. They are pleasuring themselves with things and other so-called gods that mean nothing. And they're leaving the true God behind. You are to be faithful only to God 
and no one else. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and he rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways. Woohoo! The judge is dead! Ding dong! And they start running around doing their own thing again. But when the judge died, the people returned to the corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. And then they went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I've made with their ancestors, and they have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations Joshua left unconquered when he did, when he died. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. That is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out um, or allow Joshua to conquer them all. Is God playing mind games with them? You know, God will allow us to be put in situations to test our resolve. Did you, we don't like that. God is supposed to lay out my path straightly and make everything rosy for me every step of the way. No, sometimes God wants to test whether or not you're truly going to be faithful to him or not. We don't like that part of God, do we? Do you like it when you, when you come up against a wall in life? Do you like it when difficulties come your way? God will allow these difficulties and some of these walls to come in your pathway to see, are you still going to be faithful to me? Are you still going to love me? Now, he won't allow us to succumb to these things because he provides a way of escape. But when we have difficult times in life, what do you do? Do you give up, throw your hands up, throw the towel in? Do you forget the promises of God that I'll be with you? You need to be with me. Continue to be faithful to me. See, the key point here is forgetting God's promises leads to disobedience. Really quickly, the two points are this. Forgetting God's promises can set in motion a lifetime of difficulty. Forgetting God's promises can set in motion a lifetime of difficulty. When we forget what God has done for us, when we forget that there is a God in heaven who loves us, then we go our own path and do our own thing, and then we wonder, why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? It's difficult enough when God is leading the way and he's testing your resolve. But when you say, "Mm, no, thanks, God, he says, okie dokie, and he withdraws. And he leaves you to your own devices. There's this cycle of madness that goes on. Listen to this, and this is a cycle you will see from Judges, the rest of the Old Testament. Listen to this. There's this cycle of madness that goes on from sin to slavery to supplication or, let's say, repentance, and then to salvation again. Sin, slavery, supplication, salvation. You'll see it. You saw it with the judges. A judge would rise up. They would direct the people. The people would get back in line. And then when the judge died, they go, woohoo, the judge is dead. And then they go back and become worse than they were before. How many of you uh, in the United States have watched 
cycles of this go on in the 250-ish years of the United States history. Sometimes uh, we started really good, and then we ticked off a little bit, just slightly, to this degree or that degree, and then we have to have a civil war. Why? Because we didn't correct the problems that were existent at that time in our, in our history as a country. And then we corrected that, and then we continue to, to tick to this slavery, and then we get to a place. There are revivals that happen throughout the course of human history. There are revivals that have happened in the United States history, spiritual revivals, where you see this cycle that continues. Sin, slavery. Sin always leads to slavery. Maybe it's not a real physical slavery, but it's a slavery to sin. It's a slavery to addiction. It's a slavery to other kinds of behaviors. But sin happens, and you're like, ooh, sin is fun until it captures you in this slavery situation. And then you get to the point where you are at the end of your rope, the bottom of the barrel, and you realize, I have nowhere else to go. And you cry out to God, God, help me. And then repentance happens, and then and it happens societally, not just individually. And then salvation, God swoops in and says, yes, I have pity on you. I loved you. And he saves you and sets you on a firm foundation. And then they're like, oh, things are going good. I can stretch and I can do this. And then what's going to, well, quickly we forget God in the good times. And then we start to just slowly etch away. And you can see that each generation, can't you? You kind of wonder where we are in the cycle as a nation. Where are we? Where are we? Are we sin? Are we slave or in slavery? Are we in this point of repentance and supplication? Or are we in the epitome of salvation and awakening? Where's the hope that can break the cycle? Where, for the Israelites, it was their faithfulness to the covenant relationship with God, which they occasionally would go back to, but more often than not, would neglect. You know what else forgetting uh, the promises of God does? Forgetting God's promises can result in future generations leaving the faith. <laughs> Church, wake up. Listen to me for a minute. Generations that come and go um, can sometimes be left to the mercy of the previous generation. Now, I'm not saying that the previous generations are are the reason for future generations' failures, but they sometimes don't help it out. You know what I'm talking about? And I oftentimes hear the previous generation pointing fingers at the older generation about how horrible they are, but I also hear the younger generations coming up pointing fingers back at the older generations about how horrible they are, and guess what happens? We play right into the hands of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy because he gets us fighting against cross generations instead of fighting the real enemy, which is he who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he gets us fighting against each other, he's won the battle over us, hasn't he? He's won the battle over the church. He's won the battle over the fight for the generations. He's won all of that. When he, gets us not when he gets us distracted from this unified fight against the true spiritual power of darkness, and he gets us fighting against each other, we're in pitiful shape. Pitiful shape. And I fear that's kind of where we are as a nation right now. 
Forgetting God's promises has led us to this place where future generations are not really sure where to turn. They have the louder voice of culture in the world around them, screaming at them what's right and what's wrong. When there's no basis or foundation for that kind of belief, it's chaos. It's utter nonsense. Why do you think there are groups now rising up in our country that are throwing every law and everything else out the window? It's mob rule. Whether it's in Oregon, on the streets of Seattle, Washington, or any other place in our nation where these groups pop up, it's because they've cast off every restraint and they've decided to become the law. What happens when people become the law instead of the holy lawgiver dictating what the law should be? So let me ask you this question. What happens when, when we decide God's law isn't all that good? You know, fine, should I not have adultery? I mean, I guess not. Murder, I, you know, I, I guess I could justify it in some sense. Uh, what about uh, hating my brother? Because Jesus, all right, so Jesus adhered to the Ten Commandments, but he also said, if you hate a brother or sister in your heart, you've, you've basically, you stand in, in, in judgment, right? You stand in fear of judgment of God. Uh, if you lust after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already, right? Uh, okay, um, so if I do all of that, that's not okay. I don't know about you, but I can't go a day without lusting in my heart. I've heard that. I'm just a guy. God made me this way. Or girls as well, ladies. Pornography rate among women is, is, has escalated because of just the access, the ease of access. Men aren't the only ones today that have the problem. See, a slow drift, just a, just a slight deviation. Look, George O. Wood writes that on October 31st in 1983, this Korean's airline um, flight, literally 007, I'm not kidding, but that was the flight airline, departed, flight uh, 007, departed from Anchorage, Alaska for a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. Unknown to the crew, however, they were, their navigational system was just a degree and a half off. And at the point of departure, the mistake was unnoticeable. A few hundred miles out, the deviation was still so small that they, they didn't notice it. And so this giant 747 continued across the Aleutian Islands, out over the Pacific, and the plane increasingly strayed from its proper course. Guess what? It did not end up in Seoul, Korea. It ended in the airspace in 1983, Cold War era, over Russia or the former Soviet Union. Once they got into their airspace, the Russians scrambled their fighter jets and took out that 747. All because of a slight degree and a half deviation off course. You know, NASA has to work on specifics. Our aeronauticals, aviation, all of that has to work on specific science. Why? Because even if you're just a half a degree off or this degree off or that degree off, just what we would consider minuscule over the long course of time can become life altering. How many of you would like to be strapped to a rocket hurtling 20,000 miles an hour through the atmosphere into space with a deviation of one degree? 
not me, right? It better be exact before I do that. But how many times do we do that? Not only do we do that in our generation, but for future generations, if we are slightly a deviation off, what do you think our kids are gonna be? And if our kids then go another slight deviation off, what do you think the next generation's gonna be? What do you think? So now, you're gonna ask me this question later on because I think I've gotten it already, is why does God say whenever there's a sin in this generation, then they're gonna be bound to that sin for multiple generations? right? Hundreds of generations. But those that are blessed and follow my, I will for a thousand generations be with them. You know what God is talking about there? Let me kind of explain this. When God says you will be punished for this many generations if you continue in sin, and if you stay with me, your your generations, a thousand generations will be blessed. What he's saying is, here's the deal. Have you ever seen sin cycle through families? Have you ever seen a cycle of sin and behavior? to where one generation, let's say three generations ago, your grandparents, there was an alcoholic in the family or there was an abusive situation or the husband or the wife treated the other one bad or beat the kids or whatever the case is. And then you see that happen in the next generation. It may be a slight variation of that, but then you see it happen in the next generation. When does the cycle stop? Where does the cycle stop? The only hope of that kind of cycle stopping is, is the mercy and the grace of God stepping in or somebody in that family saying, enough, I can't do this anymore. This has gone on for generations in my family. I'm gonna make it stop with me. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've forgotten God, if somebody in your family has forgotten God, or maybe generations prior to you, and maybe you're the cycle breaker today. But God has called you for such a time as this. If you're in here, it is not by happenstance or by chance. Maybe you're worn out and tired because you lost an hour of sleep last night. But if you haven't heard anything, hear this. Whatever cycles that you are perpetuating or that have been perpetuated through the cycles of generations previous to you, you have the authority to stop in Jesus' name. You can be delivered, you can be whole, you can be set free, and you can find power and hope in the name of Jesus. You don't have to follow suit to the way the Old Testament did with the Israelites there. You don't have to continue the cycle the way they did. You don't have to wait for a judge to step on the scene because the mighty judge of all has stepped on the scene and his name is Jesus. And he nailed your sin and the sins of your family once and for all to that cross and he says, no more. I've got your free ticket out of jail. Come on. He says, no more of this, it's got to stop. Because you can't save yourself, because you can't break that cycle, I'll break it, all you have to do is believe in me. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself daily and take up your cross and follow me. Because it's not about you, it's about him. So here's what I want you to do as our worship team comes forward is if you find yourself continuing to become like your mother or your father and they were not the greatest examples, break the cycle. If you see a pattern of behavior in you that you swore as a kid, I will never be like that, but you find yourself having drifted just a percentage or a degree off, you don't have to continue 
with a degree off. Get your navigation corrected. Find your true north, who is Christ Jesus. Allow him to be the one you have staked your claim in and are focused on and are heading toward. It is narrow and it is a difficult path, but if you keep your eyes fixed on him, you can walk on water. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we know that sin has a cyclical behavior to it. That if it is not broken, if it is not dealt with, if we don't remember that it was nailed to the cross, then we fail to rise above it. The only hope for the breaking of that cycle is to place Jesus at the center of who we are. To allow the Holy Spirit to work us over and inside and out to cleanse us, to make us fresh and new and clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've given us hope through Jesus, that we don't have to stay in this rat race of nonsense or on this, this hamster wheel of going nowhere but to destruction. Remind us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. For your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.